Hello, everyone. This is episode 33 of High Fantasy, member of the Broken Jars Network. And uh, I don't know what's going on this time because I don't, I don't know anything <laughs> about this shit. So was anyone productive? Eh. Eh. <laughs> I got stuck again with world building because like, I really need to figure out characters' names and I want to make sure those names are appropriate and it's just constantly this down the rabbit hole adventure <laughs> and very little real progress. Naming is my least favorite part of anything. Yeah. Oh yeah, it breaks my flow so bad. I'm like, oh, I need a name for something. Crap. <laughs> It's so important if I'm dealing with English nobility. <laughs> do I want to use that name or do I not? It's like because of the reasons. Like, what what if that thing's just as a, like it's an old English word for a, like barnkeeper type thing? Like, it shouldn't be the name for a noble person. So it's like, eh. but that's what beta readers or alpha readers are for. Yeah, names are easy to change. Yes, they. Are. All you gotta do is like search and replace. <laughs> Done. And then go back through and make sure you didn't misspell the name. You mm-hmm. right. somewhere. So you don't have any dwigs laying around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got about 2,000 words done in my yeah, That's pretty good. Yeah, I was just trying to like knock out a couple hundred words when I got home from work. Yeah. Really hard. Like I hate when you're sitting at work and you're like, I really feel like I could write a story right now. And then I get home and I don't feel like that anymore. You're all tired and shit. That's how I always feel with working out. Like 2 thir- 2.30, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be the best workout ever. Because <coughs> I'm going to finally get to like the gym. I'm like, oh, I just want to go home. <laughs> Do it in the morning before work. You're not tired from anything else except for lack of sleep. Yeah, but I already get up pretty early. So, so yeah. when you get to the gym really, really early, it'll be dead. There'll be no one there. No one to fight over anything. But that requires being a morning person. No, it doesn't. I, mean, I already wake up at 5.30. I don't want to wake up any sooner than I already do. <laughs> I only get to the gym if I wake up at about 4.30 and wow. go. So uh, I was like a little productive, like maybe 500 words. Like I've thought a lot about it, but <laughs> nothing like I just sit there and like stare at the flashing cursor going, well, this is shit <laughs> and then move on. It's been a busy two weeks for me, just, you know, life in general bullshit shit that happens oh yeah i've got 10 out of 11 days and my flight booked for my trip so that was this past two weeks of working was this ireland uh england and wales Oof. we're taking a break from ireland and going right next door <laughs> well they still speak english ish so. <laughs> and drive on the wrong side of the road and i yeah well be sure to like save your receipts because that could be like done for research <laughs> we'll see Okay, so I think today's topic is like money and trade and finance, how that affects stories you wanted in your story. Uh, We can even get into like economic ideas and systems and a lot of the fallacies and issues that come along with those because people have no idea what they're talking about 95% of the time. Uh, I agree with that part. (laughs) That's something that just bugs (laughs) people, like make all these assumptions about how economics works. Like, like people like people do understand that economics is just theories right like there are very few like there there are really no hard and fast laws when it comes to economics because <laughs> it, it all depends on like the people you're working with and the different drivers for you know are you a consumption based society are you family based are you all these different things so there's all sorts of crazy stuff that goes into that i should pay close attention to this episode <laughs> If one of my stories is going to be a trade war. Right. Well, trade wars can be a bit more simple if it's like, well, I mean, we have one kind of going on right now between the U.S. and China, which is stupid. Uh, But, uh, you know, trade wars can easily boil down to we both have a good the other person needs and we're just going to keep it from that person. (laughs) I mean, so many wars have been fought over. Hey, you have trees or you have water. I need trees and or water and let's go get some trees and water. Okay, I can't do all talking this episode for fun. I mean, that's all I'm thinking. I was like, I was taught what the word embargo means, but like nothing more than that. (laughs) (laughs) I get the concept in a really small, simplistic way, but like other than like a character being poor and needing to go run around find money in order to pay rent. Like I get that part. Right. Well, that's a, at least in my head, an easy way to create strife that's it's good strife it's, it's really relatable strife. and it's yeah everyone can relate well most everyone can <laughs> being 
some level of poor. You know, we've all had, well, at least most people I know, have all had that moment where you look at a pizza and go, hmm, that's my next four meals. Because that's all you can, like, that's all, you don't have any money no until problem. Friday or whatever. Uh, yeah, so that's a good one. The, if you really want to get into, like, currency trading, that's a whole other level of interesting where, like, if you read Artemis by Andy Weir, the same, um, the guy who wrote The Martian, I think it's Andy Weir. Some I thought it was pronounced Wire, but the Wire, Weir, it looked... Uh-huh. I don't know. Uh, he talks about how like the currency on the moon is really just how they measure um, moving things from the earth to the moon. So essentially your ability to bring things to the moon is how wealthy you. Are. So it, you know, that's a different kind of system. And so people buy and sell essentially cargo capacity on ship. And that's how they say who's rich and who's poor who's got the most cargo capacity and so that's you know that's one way to look at money where you're like okay it's not really like our money which is just a placeholder anymore I mean, we could get really into the history of money and talk about like how it used to be like tradable debt and then farther back it was you know precious metals or thing you know more into the barter system and then going in the future or you can go with like a pure barter system which is always interesting in books, I think. Um, or we can just say fuck it and not really care about it because it is annoying to deal with. Yeah, now I'm thinking just I was going to use Wheel of Time, but I don't think he would ever bother explaining why their currency, why every nation prints coins and what is backing that coin. Right. Uh, well, now it's, you know, in the US, it's in most and in most modern countries, there's <coughs> a full faith and credit of the, the country that issues them. And even why the- defaulting on debts are a very bad thing. Right. But even then, like, I mean, technically speaking, in the U.S., the government doesn't even print money. It's the U.S. Treasury, which is separate, which is a separate entity from the U.S. government. So that's a whole other. I mean, if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, you can. But so is it is it the government that's printing the money? Is it the, the Treasury? Is it, you know, is it the central bank? Is the bank a part of the com- the bank a part of the country? Is it? Is it at odds with the country? Because that could uh, create some really interesting strife when you're talking about like nobility, like the nobil, like maybe if the the bank is at odds with like major families politically, you could have all sorts of interesting dynamics of, well, we want the bank to do X and the bank is like, go fuck yourself. Uh, And then you could have some very interesting, you know, high level wars there going on of influence and trying to like do stuff with policies and, all sorts of interesting crap. It's important to remember not to go down the rabbit hole unless it's relevant to the story. Yes, watch uh, or listen to the previous episode because it's <laughs> See, in all of the words that you just said, I was like, okay, Lannisters. That's as much as I got out of it. Well, right, yeah. Yeah, they backed the, the Iron Throne was rich <laughs> because they relied on a wealthy family to back it up. Mm-hmm. And then that wealthy family had to rely on another bank. It's like, okay, strife. Yeah, I can follow that little bit. But like, the Iron Bank is a very weird mm-hmm. entity, but interesting. I forgot that Martin does use finance to a significant degree. I, I mean, it's it's a good thing to use in terms of strife or as to um, how things are working because it's real. So it's at least understandable, relatable in simple terms. It's important to remember that war costs a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yes. Or costs in, in multiple ways. You know, what is because there you get into the theory of consumption. And so you're consuming these goods for the war that can that now cannot be used for things at home. And so that creates a whole other thing of strife. Right. So it's like the best rations go to the front to the men, and women on the front lines where what's left over is what the people at home are, you know, subsisting on, essentially. Um, and you can get talk about, we can get really into like that with like talking about World War II and how that... I was going to say the propaganda that was put out to convince the civilian populace to reduce their consumption and contribute to the war effort. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you can also look at like war bonds, right? How they, you know, a lot of times, a lot of countries, they 
sell debt to finance these wars. So not only are they using their nation's physical resources, they're putting themselves in debt, hopefully to their own sovereign, but maybe to other nations to fight this giant war. So, I mean, you see, I mean, there's all those, you know, stories of like the Spanish American war bonds that have never been redeemed. And, uh, you know, they have like bear bonds, which, you know, which some of them don't have like expiration dates. So they've been accruing interest for like 200 years or like 8% or something. <laughs> so there's, there's lots of heist, heisty type, you know, treasure hunting movies based on those kind of like war bond ideas. I know some of these words. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll crash course we're, on economics. A bear, a bear bond, it's which we, you some hear- form of fiction. I mean, it seems fictional <laughs> to me. It's money. It's on a piece of paper. You have to have it in your hand in order to be yours. That's what I've gathered from it's movies. A, right. Well, a bear bond is whoever is holding the bond owns it. So there is no like paper trail of you. Know, you um, there, there, there's no paper trail. Your name is not on the bond. Like if you were to go buy like a corporate bond, like, you know, Microsoft issues debt, there would be, there would essentially be a receipt saying you own bond number, whatever. But a bearer bond, you know, back before tracking was really easy, they would just say, hey, if you have them, they're yours. You know, if you physically- How do you get money out, out of the piece of paper? You would take them to the bank that issued them or the country- you know, especially that's where like the, the war bear bonds come from is the country is issuing these these debts. So you would take them to the central bank of the country or embassy or something and they would be obligated to pay. you. A lot of it is based on the idea that you're not going to actually ever cash it in, hopefully. Right. And what a lot of people do is they put an expiration date on especially bear bonds. So you have five years. Or whatever. But some, yeah, and I think, like I said, the famous ones were during the Spanish-American War, were some of them had no expiration date. So there, there's this rumor that some in some cave in Mexico, there's <laughs> hundreds of billions of dollars of, of bear bonds hiding out somewhere that like got lost on some you know train shipment or something. And if you were to like find them, you would essentially have you would essentially be able to buy Mexico with them because they're worth so much money now. Like I feel like we just need an episode of you asking me what does this mean? <laughs> so I can explain. It. <laughs> like we're gonna have a glossary episode. Mm, that might not be a bad idea, actually. Oh, <laughs> uh, and for those listening, why I know this, I have a degree. I have two degrees in finance. My undergrad and my master's are both in in a finance-related field. Also, minors in economics. So this is where I spent way too much money in like six years of my life getting these degrees I don't use. But I'm using some, it now. <laughs> I'm using it now. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. All of those tens of thousands of dollars I spent on that master's degree really paying off for this podcast. Hey, writing's about the only place I get to use political science. Well, and that's why a lot of writers go into political science as degrees is because it's, you learn a lot about structures and histories and government. It's fun in stores. <laughs> it's fun in stories. It's fun in real life. But, yeah. And, you know, that's why you don't, if you ever want to write a really cool sort of caper story, it would be about like someone who could forge government debt well. Because if you could forge government like the T-bill, the, the treasury bill, in like you could literally destabilize the u.s economy with like 250 pieces of paper if you could do them well enough because you could pump in you could pump you could pump in so much non-existent currency into our system that it that we would hit hyperinflation within days if you did it right i always wonder with like shows like uh in manga like full metal alchemist where you can literally make money well, they kind of handled that. They do. It, is, it reverts uh, back. I mean, you can make gold, but it reverts back to whatever it was after a certain amount of time. Was that? So, I thought that was into Trickham. I, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I mean, you're not. But you are turning it's definitely it against the law to do it. Yes. So there, it's like, but obviously, it, you could be like, punished. It's so, it'd be impossible to trace, and it, it'd be so easy. You just wanted to pile a bunch of gold into a country. Well, I mean, there's the way of doing it. Like you could just, you know, turn light to gold. There's the classic alchemy thing, but it would also just be easier to have a stack of paper or even just wood and then make it look like paper money. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be even easier. And yeah, that it's, it's really easy to. Walk, just, walk. Oh, that'd be so cool looking! You just walk into a forest and like hit the tree and turn it and it explodes <laughs> into a stack of money. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they gave him like a huge bank account. It's like, please don't do that. We'll give you money already. <laughs> We're gonna fund you so you don't ever feel like you need to make your own money. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Unless you're Tucker and you're an idiot. I think it was in the '80s. There were a big thing where people were trying to forge tiger bonds, which are Japanese debt, or is it Chinese? I think pretty sure it's Japanese. Was they call them tiger bonds? And someone found a briefcase with like a hundred billion worth of yuan of forged bond in just a normal size briefcase. Like that's what I'm saying. Where you can like do some serious damage with like these paper goods. Oh, they're U.S. bonds. Uh, yeah, yeah, those treasury bills, the U.S. debt. It's treasury investors' growth receipts, which is where they get Tiger. Hmm. Interesting. Ah, there you go. So, yeah, there's all sorts of, like, crazy stuff. And you see a lot of that in, like, older movies. Oh, not older movies, but, like, like I was saying, like, heist movies or heist stories, like, bonds that are worth so much money because they were hidden. And It's also an easy, like, plot device. Oh, yeah, it's a total MacGuffin. Almost like a MacGuffin, yeah. yeah it's, it's a, rather than a pile of money, because that doesn't seem reasonable, it's just a pile of bonds. Mm-hmm. It's a briefcase that is a pile of money. It's like, yeah, it, I mean, it's something you could actually walk out of a room with. Right, and so then you get into, like, the really suspense stuff, or you could get into, like, talking about how, like, if you, especially if you do, like, a bond that's related to something that allows you to do world building, because you have to explain why the bond matters, and then you can get into like this epic war that happened in your world, you know, 500 years ago. And now they're worth a bajillion dollars. That is a rabbit hole if I've ever heard of one. <laughs> yeah. But hey, it it's works. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I've been kind of trying to research some of this economic, but basically the, the ripples that something can happen was I've been learning about the Industrial Revolution mm-hmm. and how it affected everything. Like a lot of the... Uh, technologies that were created during the industrial revolution that like created the textile revolution and the coal and all that they happened in Britain for one reason or another. And then it kind of spread outwards. And like, as certain things got cheaper, other costs got higher. Mm -hmm. Like that's, we got a huge influx from rural areas into the urban areas, which led to like more disease and higher cost of living in certain areas. And then because the textiles in Britain got cheaper, all of the textiles that were made in Germany got so much more expensive. It was, you couldn't actually sustain life that way. And so it caused like weird trade war for a little while. Mm. Yeah. There's the unintended consequences is economics. Like you see this thing like, Oh, this should work. And then like, for some reason it just doesn't, you know, it, it seems like a lot of the times if looking at economics, if one person is successful, it hurts others, which is an easy form of conflict because of like, how dare you do well and hurt me? Well, right. I mean, the, prime example is probably the horse's carriage right like the carriage makers went under where and you know horses and the people who owned horses they uh they started to lose a lot of money when cars started to take over because horses weren't as valuable yeah people people like to have this idea that things are worth something because they're special and it's not they're worth something (laughs) because they're utilized Mm -hmm. just because it's rare doesn't mean it's worth anything it might mean it's worth something, but it might not be. I, I always find it funny, people basically creating value to a thing just because it's rare, even if it's not utilized. Right. Well, I mean, then, but then you get into the whole, like, collector's economics of, like, people, like, it has a value because people are, the ultimate value, right? Why does a thing have a value? Because people are willing to pay money for it. You know, so that's sort of, like, the ultimate value out there. So... Uh, and you see that a lot, especially in collectors, where like, you know, Superman number one sells for like $100,000 at an auction only because pe- people are willing to fight for it. Whereas it's really just like 20 pieces of colored paper that has no like, no value besides the fact that it was printed on a certain day with certain shapes, you know. Well, um, and even in real estate, you've, I've learned that um, auctions pretty much always overinflate the value of anything of course mm-hmm. like if you can get your house to go to auction you'll probably make more money than if you just listed it now my big question is does that also happen if you can get your manuscript to go to auction <laughs> i'm pretty sure was it uh wilson who was talking about that i don't remember i think he 
I forget if it was Robocop, Robopocalypse that went to auction. I feel like someone on the podcast had talked about that before. I mean, if it was, it probably was him. It's just, I don't remember. And I know very little about the whole yeah. setting. Oh, you can go to auction. Oh, it's usually beneficial for you. Right. Well, and then, but then you also have to look at the whole, like, is it, is it worth going to auction? Is it ever not? I mean, you could get if more. You, no, I'm saying like, it is know. the thing. You especially like hire in auctions, like a book, your manuscript. If, if publishing companies are willing to go to auction for a manuscript, <laughs> there's a lot of desire for it, you know? Yeah. So it's not like, mm. you know, no one's going to pay. No one's going to like bid for like fucking Corlex manuscript. Well, <laughs> odds are anyway. But even if you can have the realistic threat of going to auction, you might not even need to. True, true. Oh, yeah. Because then you look at the whole, like someone might be willing to pay you. They, they'll make a guess on what they think it could go to and pay you something near that. So you they don't have to risk losing yeah. you to somebody else. And, you know, you might make more in auction, but that's a safe bet to take the deal that has now been increased right, because, because of there it. are no guarantees yeah. in, in an auction setting and unless some of them are like allowed you to have reserves on it so it won't sell unless it's a, like hits a minimum floor yeah so this started on the topic of money is worth what people will pay for money is worth now you, yeah. goods are worth what people will pay for exactly mm-hmm. including manuscripts including manuscripts you know it, rabbit hole. and you, you see um you see alternate currencies as plot drivers a, a lot i think so like there was that um was it out of time or something where people figured out how like it, it was a movie i think it was like a justin timberlake movie where oh, they yeah that thing basically it was lifespan time it was their currency right i didn't mm-hmm. see it but i remember the i didn't see it but i thought the concept i was like wow that's a cool concept that you know is going to be a shitty movie <laughs> but you see but you do see those kind of like current Alternative currencies as plot drivers a lot. Just because I'm in the middle of a reread of The Eye of the World, the first book in The Wheel of Time. Um, in the beginning, the main one of the main characters, the witch lady, gives the three kids a silver coin to keep track of them with because she put spells on them. And first of all, I love the uh, whole country bumpkin thing where you know it's more money than they've ever seen in their lives and they're amazed. And it's like it quickly becomes trash to them as you know they suddenly become powerful and wealthy but one of the characters runs across a group of crazy ku klux klan guys they're a little nuts but they think they're doing the right thing oh the religious zealots the religious zealots yeah the the um knights templar kind of and because they hate witches and they find the kid and he's got one of the witches coins on him they immediately label him a dark friend and want to kill him (laughs) it's like oh just i mean there's currencies all over the world and you just happen to have the wrong one and the wrong group saw you with it Mm mm-hmm Right, and that's another way to, like, in terms of identification, instead of, you know, instead of some uh, using like a language or a dialect, like money. So, like, yeah. you know, if you were to go to Canada with U.S. dollars, they would know you were American because of the dollar. So you could easily do stuff like that. It's also an easy way to bankrupt people. You're in a different country, and all of a sudden they're at war, but all your money is from the other country, and they're not gonna honor it. Well, yeah. And that's another thing, you know, currencies, governments have to honor the currency or you, or you start to build this whole uh, black market of currency trading. Uh, and then that's where people can get stupid rich because they have all these obscene fees and, you know, don't have a true, uh, a true market value for the money. Mm-hmm. Black market, anything tends to make people rich. But... Yes. Rich or dead. One of the two. Yeah. But it, again, it's a service that People want money to be in somewhere else. And if you mm-hmm. can make it work. That's why you should always, if you can, always use a debit or credit card when traveling overseas. Because it's trackable. That too. But they, if you use a credit card, they have to give you the spot rate that the, trading, that the currency is trading at at that given moment. So there is no extra fees or penalties for using it. So okay. if you go to like a money changer for like paper go, paper money. Then they take a cut oh basically. God, oh yeah. So that's 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 your tip for the week. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, since I'm about to be going on a trip. Nice to exchange money before you go. It's great when your debit card lets you withdraw money in foreign countries without fees, but that's not very common. Credit cards are amazing. And never go to money lenders or currency exchangers because they're just going to fleece you. Like, if you need cash before you go, most bigger banks will do it. And that's where you really want to go. Go to, like, your bank. 
then they won't fuck you over nearly as bad. So next week on Travel Tips Podcast. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> and then and then like you get in then economic systems, that's a whole other thing. Like <laughs> most people don't understand the whole idea of economics and how it really is just a really educated guess. <laughs> That's like literally everything. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, this is this way because economic, no. Like, like, like it's, it's the, just... probably the least science, like <laughs> science out there. <laughs> it's working this way and we're going to try to make our best guess of why. Essentially. I mean, there, there are certain simple, you know, things that you can pretty much say are, you know, laws of, laws of economics like the more supply you have if supply increases prices will come down because the thing becomes less scarce so laws of scarcity uh, those tend to hold really true yeah if it's an important want it then it's not worth as much right well if it's harder if it's easier to get you know then it's even the horse and carriage situation where carriages are now worth worthless because no one wants the carriage right and so demand, you know, demand and price, supply and quant, you know, supply and price, demand and price, those, those kind of things tend to correlate. And if you could just stick on those when you're writing your book, that's probably the best thing. <laughs> don't get too complicated. Don't get too complicated because then you got to get into like, especially like the base stuff is like Hayek versus Keynes to economists that, um, you know, we, the U.S. and most people, as we, when we think of economics and economic law, we think of Keynes. Uh, he wrote the general theory of economics, which is where we get a lot of our uh, equations from, like GDP and other things. But he had very simple theories on why things happened. And, you know, most people still hold those to be true, even though there's a lot of things in the theories that don't hold true over a certain period or, you know, in different areas. So it's, it, uh, yeah, it's really, <laughs> it's... Don't just don't do it. Just don't do it. Use money or trade as a plot device, but don't actually try to like explain this shit to people because it won't make sense to them. And that'll piss off the one out of a million people like Jacob who knows it. <laughs> yes, yes, it will. I've like quit reading books. I'm like, nope. Which ones? Which ones did you quit? Oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, well, I almost did it with Harry Potter because I got into something in there that was just really bad. But I'm I trying to talk to, more about Harry Potter. There was one I was trying to read. I think it was like a Vince Flynn book or something, like one of the you know just like thriller books. Um, and I, he just got off these economics that were just bad. Or I see it in movies and I'm like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> so I like that's one reason I really like uh, The Big Short, which was a book and is now a movie. I did watch that. Yeah, I love that movie. That's like, it's, I love that movie. It's one of my all-time I mean, favorites. But it's very having- accurate. I had no idea of really anything that's going on. I was a kid at the time that any of that happened and I had no understanding of any of the vocabulary, but they did a decent job of explaining it. That's, that's, why, that's, ridiculous. that's why I, that's, that was sort of my thought was uh, they did a pretty good job of explaining how things work. I mean, I've yeah. been, I mean, cause I mean the crash in 08 screwed me over cause I graduated like four months before the crash happened so there were no jobs anymore so it took me a long it's one reason i understand this stuff as much as i do is because i just spent so much time trying to understand what the hell happened in 2008 (laughs) and then you gotta then you have to understand that like it really started back in like the 70s you know these these long-running undercurrents and unintended consequences so how much did you rent about harry potter uh not much Oh. <laughs> so now you get to continue the Harry Potter conversation. Well, I was going to question, um, what was your opinion on the Wizarding World having their own currency? I mean, it makes sense, right? Because they really live outside of the wor- the real world. But currency is sort of um, I, I also is a thing that, that comes out. You know, it's just one of those things that societies tend to develop an easier way to barter. Because that's where money really starts is saying okay this piece of paper or rock or whatever equals this much of one cow or this much of one chicken instead of having to like pull your cow around the market trying to trade it you know for whatever it's just you know currency is one of those things that almost will will almost always develop in a world that is not fully 
commune, like fully utopian commune. Everyone working for each other, sharing. That's, I mean, it's hard to have a world without currency outside of that kind of idea. I guess I would have to more question the idea of Wizarding World living entirely separate lives in the first place. Right. Why would you do that? Why would? Why do you need to do that? Because they're assholes. That's why. Of muggle money to Wizarding money. I mean, like, yeah, you really limit yourself to one bank that will handle all transactions of that. Because mm-hmm. you can't go spend Wizard Gold at a pizza shop. Yes, but you can convince the delivery driver you paid him, right? That's illegal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Like, wait, why couldn't they do that again? Oh, yeah, it's illegal. Yeah. But I feel like that creates unnecessary strain if you ever have to get by in the muggle world. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, was, that would be another thing that I would be curious about in Harry Potter. Are there multiple banks? Like, like there are multiple schools of magic? Like, is there, like, or does the Green New just York have... Magical I mean, Bank of the United States or something? I could see it going both ways because since Gringotts were run by goblins, right? And so, like, maybe they just have a... You know, a syndicate across the entire world of like this is the one. Why bank. are goblins always? Mo- <laughs> but see, and then if if there's only one bank, then you have to start getting into like, is the bank working properly? You know, there's all sorts of fun stuff you get into. Like, <laughs> I feel like a fan fiction that becomes like a Twilight, where like the auditor, like somehow the world becomes aware of the Gringotts Bank. And like the government sent They're auditors to audit the books, sitting on a lot of gold, just laying in vaults. <laughs> yeah, there's some, <laughs> but for at least for uh, Harry Potter, like that was a really simple, stupid reason to make your character not care about money. Right. Just, he inherited a bunch, and now I don't need to deal with that again. But because, well, but she also, since she really put them in this other world. She didn't have to deal with the, oh my God, I'm fucking rich now plots either. <laughs> yeah, he was still poor in the muggle world. He was just stupidly rich in the wizarding world. And I always liked that it caused conflict between him and Ron because Ron was poor. Excessive. <laughs> Excessively poor, right. The guy had a job, but he shouldn't be that poor. Right, and you would think with your magic, you'd be like, poof, food. I mean, can, can they I not? Mean, it wasn't that. It was like they, they needed to buy clothes. They needed to buy, like, school equipment. <laughs> Like so, it was one dude who was supporting a family of like him and his wife and seven children. I think. Granted, yeah. some of them had aged up and gone away and gotten their own jobs, but it's like that's really kind of rough still. Yeah, I mean the 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 way money is used in there is weird. Like sometimes it's like, oh yeah, money's important. Then oh wait, no, it's not. <laughs> like once you're here, it doesn't matter. You can go to the village and drink all the butter beer you want. It doesn't cost a thing. Because I don't think I remember them ever settling a bar tab at whatever that place was called. No, I don't remember that either. That's weird. <laughs> I do remember them going to the, like, buying stuff with candy, but I don't remember the bar tab at all. I feel like every single time they went to get butterbeer, something happened while they were there and they went running out. That's possible. They're just not bad. <laughs> now, you know, the, like, the, the, the person keeping the books there is like, who the fuck are these kids not paying for their fucking butterbeer? Oh, I would love if, like, in the sixth book, they go back to Hogsmeade and go it's to like, get butterbeer. Get out. <laughs> Fuckers. You owe us. Like, they're, 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 like, <laughs> like, behind the bars, like, do not serve with their much. <laughs> so, yeah, I think for the most part, though, money or lack thereof serves as a good motivation to get your characters down the road. I mean, definitely. It's like, you're about to lose everything you have, like your home or livelihood or, you know, anything you're able to do anything if you don't get a certain amount of money right, right now. Like in the first couple of Dresdens, he does some things to make sure he gets paid. They're like, you know, as a person who's been pretty poor at times, like, I get it. I, I get when you're just like going for the money no matter what. That's a very viable thing to push a character. Can we just respect the fact that for all Dresden's bitching about how much money he needed, he still managed to pay the little folk in pizza every week? Yeah. He kept that. He did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but but I think he also complained about it at one point in the books where it's like, I think he said something about how it was getting really expensive or something. Probably as the Zargard kept getting bigger in size. Well, I mean, it's probably that, but at some point he stopped paying it and somehow Leah made sure that it was still getting there. Wasn't he dead? Yeah. <laughs> Dresden was no longer paying it. How did Leah do it? Because she had an obligation to see through. And yes. what money did she use? Did she use money at all? Did she just oh. like fairy eyes? I'm sure she just fairy eyed it and was like, 
poof, magic and done. <laughs> Very magic. <laughs> I also like how, especially in Dresden, um, like he makes it obvious that he could be doing things to make more money and be mm-hmm. perfectly rich, but it's not in character with his moral compass. Yeah, there's one thing that I I like about the way Dresden handled it, and it can irritate me in other books, is when they take a simplistic view of money, of like, it's either really good and something you should always try to go for, or it's really bad and corrupts everyone. And Dresden's kind of like, well, power corrupts. People can be corrupt. Money is sometimes power, but, you know, it's just like, I need it in order to survive. It's not like I'm addicted to it. It's a very normal approach to Mm -hmm. a view of money. I can't help people if I'm not feeding myself. Yes. And that I appreciate because I dislike the simplistic views of like money is either really good or really bad and no in between. Right. Because most people, it it creates an easy villain because money, like you said, money a lot of times equals power, you know. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a way to create a really easy villain. So uh, goblin stereotype, like <laughs> yeah, goblin stereotype, just evil banker, just you know, evil sp- capitalist crap, and just eh, it's not that simple. So stop pretending it is. Right. So, but it, it is a really easy motivator. Everyone understands the want of money to some extent. So it's a really universal way of going. Okay. Well, this person's going to do everything it takes, and this person wants the dreams and all this other stuff. Like the entire premise of uh, Ready Player One is they're trying to win this guy's two hundred and fifty billion dollar inheritance. You know, it's all this guy. These guys just dedicate their lives to trying to win all this money. Have you seen the movie yet? I have not. I have not either. I wanted to ask how it was. Uh. Everything I've seen from the people I trust is it's really different, but it's good. Okay. So I'll check it out event. Uh yeah, that's it's on my list. I just don't know when I'll get to it. Um they do that in Mistborn to an extent too, where it's kind of half the storyline revolves around the idea that the Lord Ruler controls, you know, the one supply of a really precious metal. And then Kelsier just goes and destroys everything. Yeah, because fuck that. Yeah. Kelsey really irritated me. <laughs> but like to isn't the whole heist to go in there and get his cash of I thought the heist was just to kill him. I mean it's sort of not really a heist, you know? It's not a heist, that's an assassination mission. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't they, they didn't get the cash. No. And he was dead at the end of the book. So I don't remember if there was a heist. I, I always love watching Sanderson talk about how like I had two ideas, the bad guy one and a heist. And I'm like That's not a heist. And they wasn't really the bad guy. Exactly. Really, both of your premises, you kind of twisted and weren't really the case. I did like Vin and her uh, kind of like because she was like a street urchin and really poor and very like, traumatized because of it and living on the streets. She distrusted and hated all of the wealthy nobles for a long time until she realized they're people. Yeah, I mean, she hated them for good reason, but they but were She hated people. them based on who they were because they had money. And so then it's like, oh, they're, they're people. They have the same problems. And it's like her journey of empathy was fun and completely lacking in Kelsey or I hated him. Good thing he didn't live very long. Mm. <laughs> Money as a motivation can also be done sort of the flip of person has lots of money, has it all taken away. Let's see what happens. You know, so that's also a, a storyline you see a lot or of. Even and, things like uh, chickens and uh, Christmas. Right, right. Uh, mm. What the hell's the name of that? Prince and the Popper? A Christmas no. Carol? Christmas. Is it Christmas Carol? Yeah. Where he can't empathize with poor people whatsoever. Mm, right. Actually, that's a lot of writings from that time period. Oliver Twist and... Because screw poor people. <laughs> well, it was really the time when we first started seeing a disenfranchised poor population of that mm. stature. Right. Yeah. And you, during the Industrial Revolution, you had the people who got very rich very fast. Yeah. yeah. And then cost of living skyrocketed elsewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and price of food skyrocketed. No one really could. Right. Because living and- in certain places, it was really abundant, but we hadn't figured out the means of transportation to get it, you know, cross country or even across, you know, somewhere as small as England in and a reasonable then, manner. I mean, around the same time is also when they figured out how to do better with trains and train tracks and so britain got better but like my focus was germany for a while and germany was lagging behind so they had to import british people to make the railroads Mm -hmm. for them to catch up trains are a fascinating part of history yeah because that revolutionized things for a brief time Mm -hmm. 
Oh yeah. It, well, it, but by the time the train, I mean, in terms of moving goods, I mean, there's still nothing better than a train pretty much in terms of cost efficient. Mm. Um, but you mean trains late by the time, like, I mean, by the time the train started to decline, the car was on the way up. So, but it was the same kind of idea was, well, the car needs a grid and a path and places to go. So, you know, if you look at rail, rail is sort of the foundation for highways. It's probably a good way to look at it. Uh, but yeah, trains are, trains are an interesting part of history for sure. Are there any other good stories with uh, a significant focus on money? Well, I was going to mention, well, you go. Well, in Name of the Wind, there were okay, paragraphs yeah, paragraphs of like, well, th- I have this much money in this coin, and I have to convert it into this thing, and then like otherwise I'm still poor. <laughs> that, was, that was my example I was going to mention. Well, he couldn't afford college unless he found a way to pay for it. Well, I mean, I just remember like he got like a large sum in one form of coinage, and he needed to convert it, but he needed to go through a couple of different other forms of money first, and... Doing that in Why? time was a problem, I think. If we're, he's still just trying to pay for college. Right. <laughs> Didn't he get like the noble sponsorship and then... Oh, yeah. Like, towards the end of the book, he got like someone... In a uh, wise man's fear. Patronized, or not patronized, but he got a patron. Patronage. Patronage, that's the right word. And Patronized, right? Still the right word, I think. I don't know. Patronage is better. It's a and man, so when it, someone's trying to be evil to him and like you have to pay an absurd amount of money in order to go to college he's like yeah sure fine it's not my money (laughs) (laughs) well that's all that i mean that that's a whole can be a whole other um story hook of i have like i'm poor and this person is giving me money and i can't screw it up because if i do i'm in trouble the worst thing is is he got all that money after he screwed it up it was weird (laughs) but you know the whole of you know the the changing of decisions of a character because of either debt or financial obligation or something thereof is, is a pretty cool mm-hmm. way to look at it. Well, the other like- thing I was sort of thinking of money was sort of an anti-money thing about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, how like he's really <laughs> poor and all these other kids are rich and they're terrible because they've been you know raised poorly and he's okay because he was raised poor. He has a better grip on the value of things. Right. I was going to mention um, for a story with just this as a topic, um, Lies of Lachlan Moore is basically, the backdrop is he's trying to run a giant insurance scheme. Oh, yeah. Like, that I... was the whole point of it until he yeah. was sidelined by everything else going on. Because like, there's like the, a chapter dedicated to, so there's this wine that's coming out and you need to pay me lots of money for some reasons. And then like... Well, he's pretending to be somebody. Yeah. He's impersonating someone with a really powerful wine and it's, it's fun. Yeah, he's and trying to get investment for Everything <laughs> else happens and you forget about the wine. <laughs> What's funny is like you forget it with that plot line. And so does Locke Lamar. And all of a sudden he runs into the guy and the guy's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Insurance. Well, you, you were talking, y'all, y'all were talking about moving currency around. So it doesn't really happen much anymore, but there is such a thing known as arbitrage in finance, in currency markets where the, the ratio or the, the market values for currencies won't be quite in kilter. So you can go from like dollar to pound to franc back to dollar and end up with more dollars than you started with no you know it happens it does happen no it's very rare but it does happen (laughs) like doesn't that sound like the perfect way to just make a quick buck well it it used to be especially back before like everything was really computer monitored and people could trade really fast you it would be like a five or there could be a five or ten percent like arbitrage opportunity to where you could do a, a, a basically a pyramid trade and you would end up with, you know, 5% more dollars than you had when you started. Mm. I mean, especially if back in like the 1800s when nations would have different relations that give each other better exchange rates, you could things around. and That does put the context into more like palatable terms for me, but it's just thinking like... I'm not like, sure if that ever really happened, but that might make sense. It, 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 it does help. But yeah, but it was just, uh, you know, there, there's a market irregularity where because for the most part, currencies trade in parity across each other, but there's so many currencies trading against so many other currencies that every once in a while 
some of those currencies will get off. So like the pound will be stronger against the franc than it is against the dollar, even though it shouldn't be. Every once in a while, something will happen to where it is. So it's it, you can do these weird money manipulations. I feel like as soon as someone started taking advantage of that, the market would adjust. It does correct very quickly. So you pretty much have to be the first one to find it. But some people made a whole lot of money in like <laughs> the 40s do, like doing that. Damn. As And like you were saying earlier, economics is a theory. So when wacky things like that show up, sometimes it's just... Well, I mean... For the most part, things trade in parity, but it's not, it doesn't always hold true. You know, for the most part, a dollar is going to buy you 1.25 Canadian and that 1.25 Canadian is going to buy you $1. But every once in a while, things get a little weird. (laughs) Or it's going to buy you $1.25 or $1 worth of pound, but not always. So this is one, this is one of those examples of, yeah, don't try to explain this in a book. (laughs) I mean, unless I, it's really, really relevant. Patrick Ross has tried with the name of the wind and the, the currency exchanges, and I just like, okay, he's got problems. Skip to the next paragraph. <laughs> okay, he's got. I like that. It's just like I feel like that can be the summation of the entire name of the wind and wise man's fear. Uh, King Killer Chronicles. Yeah. Quoth has I, problems, and he solves them. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the it's like, okay, is he rich or is he poor? That's what I need to know. <laughs> Someday we'll get Doors of Stone. Someday. <laughs> Probably about when we get uh, Winds of Winter. Winds of Winter, yeah. <laughs> and I'm betting Stormlight's probably finished by then. Oh, yeah. And Dresden. Yeah, Dresden's catching up. Once he gets back on track, which I think he seems like he hit. We're never, ever going to get another Dresden book. It's but, not going to happen. We're getting one in June. Yeah. Hey, that's what they say. It's scheduled. It's written. It's yeah. It's got a release date. You can pre-order it. Yeah. This is brief talks, by the way, or briefcases. Briefcases. Oh, not peace talks. <laughs> I wish it was peace talks. <laughs> and then, well, I mean, the fact that he's even talking about mirror mirror means okay. So he he knows what he's doing again. Oh yeah. I mean, we got him to talk about the next one, which everyone yeah. on the internet's decided is called heel turn. But heel turn. He hasn't confirmed that. Oh. But we know it has something to do with wrestling. And so people are just saying, heel turn, that'll be it. <laughs> so what? Wrestling. Gods wrestling, yeah. and wrestling. Nice. And Hades is the one that's like, hey, Justin's perfect for this problem. <laughs> Hades is going to contract Justin? I don't know if he's going to contract him. It's like, hey, that awesome. problem? That person was capable. Why don't you shove him into it and see what happens? So, nice. But when Peace Talks does come out, we'll be able to see... Dresden dealing with all of the weird money issues of the fact that he just got a load of diamonds at the end of Skin Game. Oh, right. Dresden's rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even Michael faced the practicality of how do we launder these diamonds? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe money is actually worth if I can put that money like Yeah. And exactly. And I know it will cause problems for them because Butcher said it was like, well, when he, they got the, the TV deal, he got a decent amount of money. And then it just caused more issues that he just didn't know to expect. And so it's like, obviously, Dresden's going to get a lot of money. And he has to deal with those issues that he has no idea or preparation to have to deal with. What do you think uh, more than monthly? It seemed like it was like, I would guess, like, probably about like 60000 a year, like 5 k a month. But they probably don't have to pay taxes on that. I feel like Dresden, I don't know, feel somewhat poor after. Well, Chicago's not a cheap place to live. So. Well, it was in the- no, but- 5K is so significant. Yeah, 5K a month would be great to me. Well, if it was 5K without taxes, that's a lot. I mean, 60K with taxes. It's not taxable, though, because, I mean, there's forms of coming back from the dead. (laughs) I'm just saying, I mean, we don't know if it's taxable. Like, is there like... who? You know, there's some like corporation that's been in the Dresden verse has been around since like 17, like 86 that was founded just I'm to pay. I'm pretty sure the White Council is not a organization you can put on your taxes. No, no. They, they, they create their own like shell corporations. <laughs> Why would you bother just to pay? T- because so that allows don't get audited. wizards to keep their bank accounts open for 200 years and collect interest. And not right? get audited by. The yeah, something or- like that. I mean, he's mentioned you basically open an account, you let it sit, you do some things, and then, you know, retirement. He mentioned it somewhere, I think. In yeah, I think so. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> so it's like, you know, they have to make things possible for that. There's forms for coming back from the dead and getting back pay. It's like, <laughs> yeah, there's probably taxes involved. 
I thought Lucio said something about like, you know, we can fill out some paperwork and get you money. Well, I don't know if there's actual me. forms for coming back from the dead or more just like, I can make up some stuff and we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So Morgan gave him like some form of a pay stub and hated doing it. And okay, then, that implies there's a record and a yeah. reason and then for that. Rashid just says like, I'll help you with paperwork for coming back to life. And <laughs> Bureaucracy. It, it, Only it's a thing. I wouldn't be surprised if the White Council demands taxes somehow, you know? Well, I mean, it would be obvious to do so. White Council needs to afford things somehow. Mm-hmm. I've been crewing, you know, things for a billion years. <laughs> Even look at, like, video game guilds in, like, World of Warcraft. Your character gets taxed on the money you're earning so that your guild gets money to pay for things. Seriously? Yeah, a small portion of the gold you earn goes to your guild so that From- you can I don't know. I forget if it's extra gold or if it's just a small, like, tiny percent of what you earn. From what, though? Like, everything you do. When you earn gold, your guild gets a small portion of it so that it can pay for repairs and have a bank. What? <laughs> hey, when it comes to things like... Uh, Currencies even... and banks will always happen. I mean, well, I, I didn't play WoW. Yeah. I played EQ2 growing up, and I just remember the uh, the auction house on EQ2. It was apparently realistic enough that people studied it yeah they studied uh i don't think it was a cdc but um when wow had that very weird bug briefly when rub came out and you could take a blood disease from a boss dismiss your hunter's pet and bring him to a city Mm -hmm. they studied the spread of that to see what an epidemic might look like yeah the the terrible videos of that (laughs) it's hilarious I love when, like, the guards have too much health to be killed by it, so they essentially become carriers, and <laughs> everyone who walked by them just died. Well, that, okay, you said that um, if for EverQuest, where it was apparently realistic enough, mm-hmm. if there is trade, it's a real economy. Yeah. I mean, auction, the that- auction house is a functioning exchange of one valued mm-hmm. currency for a good. I think it, there was, there's some structures in the, what EQ2 had in order for it to be um, interesting. Like, so if you're trading inside your faction, you had this amount of like fee in order to buy something. And then if you're trading across factions, you had a higher fee. And then if you were in the yeah. middle, no man's land faction, it was extremely high. I'm sure. And like, that kind of structure along with the way people were just, you know, I'm going to put it at this price and whatever, all those I'm it sure was very complicated, and it was fun. Whenever, whenever I get my PhD, I'm going to do it on an online <laughs> economy. Because I'm pretty sure World of Warcraft must have taken that from EQ, because there's the neutral auction house where you can sell things across faction, and it's the Goblin-run cartels that run the neutral auction house. But they mm. take a larger pay cut of the transaction. Mm. I mean, they, they, they made the No Man's Land faction brutal yeah. to be in. It is hard. Of course, this is mostly just Blizzard looking for a way of... Uh, having gold things but Mm -hmm. that's most of video game costs is to make sure people don't accumulate too much money and then there's there's a very interesting um set of videos from extra credits i don't know if you've watched them but they're really good video game and they also have like really good history videos much recommends um but they talk about how to keep inflation from destroying mmos in an episode (laughs) yeah it makes sense because you got to combat those chinese money farms somehow Oh god! Oh, I used to love Chinese gold farmers, and wow, back in when it first came out, like it was so fun to just like roam the areas they would farm in and kill them. <laughs> I actually got a few angry Chinese. I learned some Chinese swears back then. Fun. That was a diversion. <laughs> Still economy. Yeah, economics, man, it's a thing. And it's I mean, thing. as you just pointed out, Jacob, if there's money, if there's exchanging goods, it's a real economy. Right. If if you're exchanging goods, it's a real economy. So now, it's but all economics are different, right? Because there are certain things. Because there's you know there's a, there's a whole microeconomics and macroeconomics and system economics and <laughs> I mean it's it's different. So if you want to put your um, book on a secure financial footing, so to speak, uh, you're going to be prepared to read a lot of really boring books, or just keep it simple. Or yeah. just keep it really simple. If this is a rabbit hole you can just ignore. Yep. Yeah, now you're making me question Wheel of Time and why every nation has its own currency and how <laughs> the hell is that governed? What is it worth? Right, but then then you got to like, or you know, another interesting plot device you can deal with is like the high-level currency and lower-level currency. So say like 
Yeah, you have a, well, you have all of like the world's currencies and you have like a one other currency that everyone accepts, like, you know, Bitcoin or, you know, the credit mm. or whatever. You know, so that's that's another really interesting way to like have to deal with relationships is like some like you could have the characters who won't touch the government higher level currency will only use the lower level currencies and traders and all that kind of stuff. Digital currencies are going to be a fascinating topic in a history book, well, yeah, an economic book. In like ten years, I'm actually going to have oh, a textbook that can explain it to me. Even then, it's not going to help. <laughs> it's just too. Digital crazy. currencies are. Silly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a mean they, person, but I've been enjoying people freaking out. It's like I bought and yeah. sold 10,000 Bitcoins. Now I owe 20,000 in taxes. What the hell happened? There was an article, I think it was the Washington Post from some economic group of people that essentially like there is no trust in, involved in the system of digital currency and therefore it'll never be usable on a large scale. I mean, that could be. There's some other issues with it as well. No, I mean, yeah. I love the idea of it. Uh, Bitcoin is terrible. Well, I wouldn't say terrible. <laughs> People, it, it's overinflated. It's a bubble. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I'm a fan of Dogecoin, but that's just me. <laughs> Such wow. But, uh, you know, the underlying technology of the blockchain, that's pretty cool. Like, big, like blockchain is the real thing. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's, yeah. But do you know the term bubble came from actually trading of tulip? Really? Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, the first known recorded bubble, uh, and this it's the tulip bubble, happened hmm. in uh, the Netherlands in like the 1400s, 1300s, something like that. Huh. I was around the 1500s, but like, yeah, so for some reason, tulips became really, really desired. Mm-hmm. And the Netherlands just kept exporting them. And then I think uh, just the point English out, guy it- that started to try to like bring tulips to England to try to like grow it there and get it and i don't remember other things well but they so, also like go ahead i was gonna say uh wikipedia said um just to get the term historically the dutch golden ages tulip mania, tulip mania. in the mid 1630s is the first bubble okay. tulip mania so like tulips became extremely popular and so people were growing on growing tulips like the the more you, you people were like buying houses with like a handful of tulips and it got worse and worse people started trading options on tulips like okay we'll give you like put options on these tulips to be able to sell them at a certain price and so uh the the rise it was from the the big short but you said the the rise and fraud and complexities are always hallmarks of mania and that's what happened is the, the way that people were salad buying and selling these tulips kept going up and up and up and got more and more diverse and more and more weird. And then the bubble went poof and they people were like, these are fucking flowers. Yeah, because they die every year. <laughs> but so, yeah, that's. And they're really not useful for a whole lot of things. No, yeah. I mean, apparently you can eat them. I learned that a few years ago. I mean, the majority of flowers you can probably eat probably wouldn't be a good thing to do, but you could probably do it. Probably, I mean, it's edible, but that doesn't really mean it's going to sustain you. Right. I was going to say uh, banana republics come from... Uh, bananas. Bananas. Yep. That, that would be a fun story topic. <laughs> no, it's okay it if you avoid the rabbit hole. <laughs> Never. <laughs> uh, this, this podcast is just getting us into more trouble, you know? <laughs> We all need to go back and listen to the last show. Yes. <laughs> yeah, economics is a massive rabbit hole to unintended consequences. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Big time. As is world building in general. But Does anybody have any other questions? Before before we... Just keep going down these rabbit holes. Read The Color of Magic if you want some economic jokes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we this is high fantasy. You can find us at brokenjars.xyz. You can give us money on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash brokenjars. I'm sure there's also going to be lots of financial discussions about the ideas of Patreon and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I sort of intentionally missed, didn't bring it up, but we could have really gotten into stuff if we want to talk about like Alice Shrugged and Ayn Rand because yeah. that's all no, about like the, uh, you know, those kind of theories. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty much all it is, is, is a thing about economic theory. <laughs> uh, yeah, so check us out. Check out our friends at Great Scott and the Dresden Files podcast, which we swear we are not. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so once in a while, Colin shows up and we get into high fantasy discussions on there and the lines kind of blur. <laughs> that <knows>? was fun. <laughs> Maybe we should do like one big episode. High fantasy dress. Dresden fantasy. I don't know. So just everyone talks stories. Mm-hmm. Primarily Dresden. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. Well, like everyone that. except for Jay Ray because the weirdo hasn't read the series. How in the world have you not? How is someone that? I, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Why is he a part of us? A lot of, <laughs> a lot of people I talk to, like, oh, yeah, I've heard about it. I've been meaning to get to it. I just haven't. It's funny that even like my family and friends have heard of the Dresden Files and none of them are readers, but like they still know what the series is. I don't even know if it has to do with a TV show or if it's just like the Dresden Files has gotten enough attention. I'm, I'm I heard the Dresden Files way back, well before I even started reading the series. I mean, I learned of it from the TV show that I watched on Hulu, so I don't know. <laughs> Who's to say? Anyway, we'll see y'all in two weeks. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye, guys. Bye.